This is the World That's Interesting Tech podcast, showcasing technologies, leaders and companies who aspire to make the world a better place for all of us. Coming up in today's show. It was a mobile app for people with diabetes to help manage their illness with their doctors, and now it's being used to help drive blood drives. Hello and welcome. So today I'm very excited to have Angela Baker from Qualcomm joining us and talking to us about what Qualcomm is doing in the uh, area of technology for good. So Angela, thank you so much for joining us. How did you get into this role at Qualcomm for good? So I work at Qualcomm, which you said, just so the audience knows, that's, you know, we would say the world's technology, leading technology innovator. We're leading on such technologies as 5G and artificial intelligence and, and things like that. I run Qualcomm for Good, as you said, which is Qualcomm's corporate responsibility efforts. So it includes sort of four pillars, the first being our environmental, social and governance efforts. So what are we doing to be a responsible business? What are we doing to make sure that we're, you know, monitoring human rights in our supply chain and making sure that we're, you know, mitigating our carbon footprint? Um, and then we have a number of programs that look at STEM education around the globe. And then um, our Tech for Good program, which is called Wireless Reach. I'm coming to you from Washington, D.C., so there's helicopters here. Um, which is called Wireless Reach, which is Qualcomm's Tech for Good program, which looks at how we can leverage the technology that we build at Qualcomm for social and economic impact globally. So I'll probably focus on that today, but there are a number of programs under our Qualcomm for Good umbrella. How do you get into this role? Because your background doesn't look like the traditional, if there is a, ever a traditional way of getting into a tech or tech for good role. My background is primarily in politics and government. So I worked most recently before Qualcomm. I've been at Qualcomm for eight years and I actually came into Qualcomm in that tech for good program. So I started on the wireless reach team and now, you know, as I said, have oversight of all of those programs. But Right before this, I worked at the U.S. State Department at the time for Secretary Clinton in the Office of Innovation. So it was in the Obama administration. We were looking at how we could really leverage all of these great American tech companies to help civil society around the world sort of build their presence. It was sort of the 21st century statecraft agenda is how it was framed. And um, before that, I had been in primarily campaign roles. So I, I got into the State Department in a as a political appointee, um, working on innovation. And I met a lot of tech leaders, um, both in the US and globally. And that sort of is how I got into Qualcomm. So, um, but now I've been here for about eight years and, and have been working on these programs. I'm quite interested in understanding what drives people, what people's purposes are. What do you find so amazing about the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I have two international relation degrees, which is interesting when you're at a company of a bunch of engineers, right? Qualcomm's made up primarily of engineers. But I think technology has this really, um, it's so powerful in terms of what it can do, right? It, there's lots of things it could be used for. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. And I think the, the engineers that are working at Qualcomm on these on this tech that they're trying to build, you know, 5G, we truly believe will have the power to connect people who have not before been connected. Um, you know, as a person that studied conflict resolution, I think a lot of the things that we do 
at Qualcomm are helping to sort of build bridges, if you will, or to bring people closer together. You know, kids in New York can study the same thing as children in Kenya. Telemedicine, which is so important now with what we're seeing with the with the COVID pandemic. So I always say that I have the best job at Qualcomm because I get to work on the technology that Qualcomm is building, but I get to help people understand what that technology does. I'm part of the the part of the company that can help tell, you know, what new technologies can do and help build those use cases to show how they can help. Getting to work with a bunch of people around the world, whether it's governments or other international stakeholders. So my job's just so interesting because it's something different every day, whether it's STEM education or drones for agriculture in Brazil or tablets for school children in Kenya or environmental, you know, what's, what's the carbon footprint of Qualcomm? Even though all of my background is te- uh, telecoms, um, I find it, I find people don't necessarily think of telecoms as one of the technology companies that's really working hard in these areas and really working hard to address some of the challenges we have um, in, in the world. So it's it's really interesting to hear a completely different kind of diverse set of use cases that you just talked about there. I'd love to understand more from you about something you said just now about 5G, 5G connecting those who couldn't previously be connected. Can we dive into that a little bit more and explore what you mean by that? 5G is going to be able to extend the reach even beyond what 4G has been able to do. It's going to transform industries, right? Whether that's manufacturing, whether that's education, telemedicine, or being able to connect people. And, you know, in the U.S., where I'm based, that's one of the things that we're looking at is sort of and working with the, the government and others on around how to reach those people who, you know, there's a lot of people in the U.S. right now that aren't even still connected. Um, and that's been a huge challenge during the pandemic. Um, And I think one of the interesting things about what we do at Qualcomm is that we build these foundational technologies that other people can build on. So my colleague always uses the example that, you know, when 4G was developed, nobody knew there wasn't ride sharing. Like nobody knew what that was. And now most places in the world that have ride sharing, right? There's a bunch of apps you can use to get a ride somewhere. Maybe hasn't been as important this past year because people are staying home more, but you know, we develop the technologies that other people can build these these platforms on that will allow people to connect, you know, the changes the way how people connect, compute and communicate. And also like, we don't even know what they're gonna do with it yet. And so it's not even just about connecting people, but it's about what will the next use case be once 5G comes out and how will, how will that be leveraged? So it's just even the way that something is designed might not be what the end use case is. And so at Qualcomm, we're really just help, helping to sort of build that ecosystem um, so that we can build those foundational technologies that other people can build off. Of. I remember when we were rolling out 3G um, uh, at Vodafone, and the kind of the killer use case for that was two-way video calling. But that took, I think, another 16 years until WhatsApp reached a billion users for it to really reach the thing we were expecting it to be. But in the meantime, so many other incremental but powerful innovations came along. And I guess that's one of the things that I'm really interested in seeing is we see the headlines on 5G and you know the speeds, which um, speeds which are one things and we see these kind of lofty things of, rom- of remote robotic surgery. Don't get me started on that. But those ideas, but ultimately, sometimes when we're talking about doing good across the planet, it can sometimes be providing those small um, incremental changes 
uh, but for more people and more easily. Have you got any other examples of where something that seems quite small has made a big change? The way that some parts of the developing world have gotten online, they sort of skipped desktops altogether and have gone right to mobile. I mean, that's sort of like five, 10 years ago even, but or, or maybe even longer. But I mean, that's one change where it's like, you know, everybody around the world now is using phones the way, same way you probably use your phone or I use my phone. And many of them skip sort of like, what we did in the 80s where we were on desktop computers and now people have all of this information, you know, right in their pocket. Um, and Qualcomm's a big part of that. I, I mean, I know that sounds boastful, but if I can say that since I'm at the company, there's certainly there have been many, there have been many people. Um, and I think just getting that in, that tech into people's hands and then having them, as I was saying, sort of figure out how they want to leverage it. So our wireless reach program you know, we've been doing that for, it's our 15th anniversary this year. We have reached over 20 million people through that program. Certainly Qualcomm Tech has reached many more, but um, but we've done over 100 programs in 46 countries. And every time we work with a local partner, it's, it's to help them address a challenge that they're facing. So we don't want to go in and say, we think you need our tech because our tech is the best and you should use it. It's they're saying, we're having this problem. We think mobile can help or we think AI can help or drones or whatever it is. And then we help work with them on a solution. We had a program in Brazil that was for people with diabetes. It was a mobile app for people with diabetes to help manage their illness with their doctors. And now it's being used to help drive blood drives um, in Brazil. And so that people can get access to blood, which is just very needed right now. And so I think that's one of those things where it's like it was created for one thing and then the, the local partner pivoted. The infrastructure was already in place. They already had built the app. They already had the, you know, people already had the, the devices, you know, and I think that's having an impact, right, for people of Brazil. We saw that just just across the kind of fairly kind of um, homogenized Europe, European continent when we rolled out 4G. Those who didn't have so much copper in the ground from legacy telecom infrastructure were able to move to 4G much quicker than we were in the UK, for example. Um, I see the same th same kind of thing potentially happening in, in these developing worlds as well, in the developing countries as well. And I'm interested in maybe from an education point of view, um, communities that maybe didn't have access to quality education, do you see that there's going to be kind of a leapfrogging there happening as well in terms of availability and quality of education? I think so. I mean, it's going to take an effort, right? It's going to be, there's going to have to be a lot of partners, certainly not just the, the, the tech companies, but governments. I mean, there's going to have to be a whole infrastructure rollout to get this infrastructure into these markets, whether it's the US or it's developing nation or wherever it is. And then there's going to have to be, um, a lot of work together on on education programming. So even what we saw, I mean, in the U.S., you know, I think we people pivoted to remote learning, but it was it wasn't like seamless. You know, kids didn't have devices. Even if they had devices, they didn't maybe have access to the internet. People were trying to get MiFi devices, and even then, teachers had to pivot like within a day to go from their normal curriculum to teaching online, which is quite different. And now we're a year in, and I think there's still been a lot of bumps. So I do think that, that there will be a focus. I'm sure you'll see a lot of ed tech companies pop up now. College level is really ripe for disruption here, I would think, because there's, uh, you know, it's obviously much cheaper to go online, but, I, but there's going to have to be an effort. There's going to have to be an infrastructure push from governments and international organizations, because it's not just about 
getting devices out to people, right? It's also the connectivity. It's also making sure that there's where, wherever they are. So not just in their house, you know, if you're going in between classes or whatever, and oh. then that the content, because there is a lot of educational content out there, but if you're trying to like sort of farm through it, it can be quite difficult. Talking about COVID, obviously a huge amount has changed. And also during this time, we've seen this big surge in interest um, towards ESG. Um, yeah, I think with, I think it was last year, uh, BlackRock were talking about this $160 trillion mega trend. And I find it very encouraging. Um, and it's definitely giving a lot of um, a lot of tailwind to some of the projects I've been talking with. Now, with your CSR hat on and the Tech for Good hat on, is this ESG something that's going to stay? Is it going to help us or is it going to be kind of fade out over time? What do you see? I think it's definitely going to stay. I think it, 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 I think it continues to grow. I think we're seeing, I, I forget what the latest stat is, but it's like assets under management over the last two years have grown by like 96% or something, sustainable assets under management. So what, what you know, ESG funds or what, if you will. Um, I think Europe's leading in this. You, you, you all are much further ahead, I think, than, than certainly we are in the US or other parts of the world. I think investors want to see corporate responsibility efforts from companies that have a tie to the business. So they're not just one off. So they're not just over one here in one part of the business. And they sort of want to see ESG integrated across the business. And that includes corporate responsibility. I think that's why I have ESG and corporate responsibility together under one portfolio. Um, you know, we just put out a public goal uh, this year, we, we at Qualcomm, around reducing power consumption in our Snapdragon mobile platform products by 10% every year through 2025. I mean, that's an that's an engineering use case, but it's also an environmental use case. And it's also a good business use case, right? Because it's using less power. So um, that's just one example, sort of tech for good or green tech, which I think a lot of investors are looking at. Um, and then there's, there's also a public policy play, which I also think ties into ESG. Certainly the new administration in the US is looking at this. I think definitely um, the European Commission and others around, you know, uh, environmental sustainability, how technology can help, what happens if another pandemic comes, how are we going to be able to pivot more easily? Um, I think a lot of people, you know, telemedicine was around before, but I think more people were doing that now because people didn't want to leave, especially people who were high risk or older. Um, and so I think there's just going to be a lot of opportunity for really smart innovators or entrepreneurs to come out and sort of disrupt some of these industries and and I think investors will be interested in that. The thing about ESG and monitoring it, tracking it, having the data, there's a there's a lot of development that needs to go on there. But it sounds like from some of the things you were talking about earlier on that you've already moved in that direction. So the, the human rights in your supply chain and some of the other things you mentioned earlier on, how are companies going to have to track these things, tie them to, as you said, the actual business and then report them. So right now there's sort of like corporate responsibility materiality and financial materiality. And I think we're just going to see those things continue to merge. They're still a little separate. Um, I think what investors are asking makes smart business sense. I mean, that's, a, that's not a lightning bolt statement or anything, but I think that again, one of our areas of focus over the next year and, and the, over the last 14 months has been to continue to integrate ESG across the business. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, we're learning as we go as well. Um, but, you know, 
there are so many, Qualcomm's a, a large company. It's not the largest, it's 40,000 people, but there are so many different people on any given day that are touching these important issues, right? There's a lot of people that work on supply chain. So it's not just me saying we have to do this on the supply chain. We have to work with the supply chain team. Um, there's a whole host of people that work across all of our buildings all over the world. So what can we do to make sure that when we're building or leasing new buildings, they're green, that we're reducing, you know, water consumption, that we're not building in um, water risk areas or whatever, whatever the issue might be. Mm -hmm. And so I think it has to be a strategy that goes across the whole company. That's definitely a focus of ours. We're getting there. Um, but I think all companies are going to have to sort of do that because before I think it was, you know, it's not just environment or it's not just human rights or it's not just privacy and security or it's not just tech for good. It's all of these things. Part of it's just like educating and making other people at the company aware as well. Yeah, and that kind of, I think, correlates with what I heard from BT as well. I was speaking with um, their um, head of tech for good, and he was saying that his role is really to kind of create create the framework and the, the practice around it and help disseminate that and get people to buy into that so it becomes part of the daily job rather than it's just one person waving a flag saying we should do this. You've seen it before, these yeah. lovely charts, the UNSDGs here. Um, I'm still honestly surprised at how many people are completely unaware of these um, and how many people kind of think of this as lip service and yeah, just another initiative. Um, so of these 17 goals, which one do you feel most passionately about? I'm most passionate about goal five and gender equality. I'm a big uh, women's rights advocate. And I think, you know, coming from a tech perspective, um, there certainly still is a digital divide, a gender digital divide globally. GSMA, you know, puts out a report on this every year. And, and there's lots of research around if you, if women had parity, you know, in terms of owning a phone and things like that, GDPs would rise and all of these things. So um, that's just a personal passion of mine. We have a number of women's programs. Um, I think again, cause it makes smart business sense. Oh, it's funny. I, I've been asking people um, this question in, in most of the interviews. And then I got interviewed by Penn State University this week. And they asked me, well, which one's yours? And I got a bit flummoxed, to be honest. But the key thing, the reason I got a bit flummoxed on it is because so many of them are interdependent. Yeah. Um, which one did you say? Uh, well, I'm very, you know, the climate action piece is more and more important for me. Um, I'm also um, you know, having you know, a techie background and innovating with this and that and all of the things these things then number nine is really important for me as well um but then again so is uh, reduced inequalities and uh, good health so <laughs> where do you where yeah. do you where do you stop right <laughs> yeah. I feel like i like all 17 of them if you were to give some words of advice or inspiration for people who might want to either get into get into qualcomm work in qualcomm or work in the kind of roles you've worked in or just what do I do to make the world a better planet? Um, what advice would you would you give? If you had asked me twenty years ago, I wouldn't. I would not have thought I would have been at a tech company again. Mm -hmm. International relations focus, um, and I always thought I would go to the State Department, which I did end up at, which was which is surprising that it worked out. Um, but I just think that you have to be really open because I think there's so many ways to get at solving these problems. You know, I think. Corporations do have a role to play. Companies do have a role to play. I know that's controversial and I know there's been lots written about that. 
Um, I think government is a great, can be a great change agent. And that could be a place if you want to do roles like this, you know, to work for your, whether it's a local government or your national government or whatever it is. I mean, I think certainly lots of decisions are made there. Um, and then I think civil society is important. It's sort of three legs of a stool, right? You sort of, you need all of those three things. So I would just say, be open because there's lots of ways that you can make change in places you can make change. And you, I think it might be like, my path was very, as I said, sort of windy to get there. And so you might think like, oh, I want to work on a corporate responsibility team at a company. And I mean, it is a great gig. I will tell you that, but I think there are lots of ways to sort of affect change. Um, you could travel, you could go live abroad and do something. I just think there's a lot of ways to do it. So don't be, I wouldn't be so close-minded, you know, and just sort of keep, keep your path open. Is there anything that um, you wish I'd asked you that you want to talk about that, that you want to talk about now? I mean, I love that you have this platform on tech for good, because I think that it's a, it's a growing area. Mm. And I think it's really interesting to see how companies, especially whether they're small companies or B cores or large scale corporations are starting to think about how they're using, how the tech that they're building can be used for good and not just sort of as a marketing play, but mm. also as like a, this can actually be effective as a public policy tool, as a you know, something to communicate with investors. And so I just think it's a really cool platform and the stories that you're sharing. Um, I think it's just really interesting to see how companies are attacking this. So I didn't mean to butter you up on the last question, but but yeah, <laughs> well done. Pass it up, it's okay. <laughs> Let me just say to anybody watching, um, if you want to find out more about what Qualcomm's doing in this space, then I'll put the links at the bottom of the video. If you enjoyed this video, please like, subscribe to the YouTube channel and do share it, that really helps because I think a big piece of uh, sustainability, ESG, tech for good, all of this is the more we share it, the more we talk about it, the more we know and the more we'll change. So please do that. And lastly, it's just Angela, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And um, I look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon. Thank you so much. You can follow us at Qualcomm for good if you wanna learn more. And that's it for today's show. As usual, a big thank you to our guests for joining us on the show and a big thank you for all of you for listening and tuning in. If you want to find out more about technologies, companies and leaders that are aspiring to make the world a better place and aligning to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, check out our website, wellthatsinteresting.tech. You'll also find information below in the show notes that will help you find us on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn and of course Facebook. 